at Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I am excited to talk about the Nuggets today. Uh, they actually lost last night, but I, I don't think anybody should be really too terribly bothered about that one. Uh, I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. If you can, when you get in here, please leave a like and subscribe to the channel as we continue to put out great Denver Nuggets coverage at all times. It's always a, a pleasure to be able to do this for you, and I will never not take it for granted. All right. Let's get into what is going to be a very, very interesting pod. I'm going to talk about the OKC Thunder. I'm going to talk about them as a young team that a lot of people don't necessarily respect yet. A lot of people don't necessarily think is a true championship contender because of how young they are. We're going to get into that, but first we're going to talk about last night's game. We'll do that for the first segment. Second segment, we will talk about the Thunder as a legit threat and whether they actually are. And then third segment, we're going to talk about the last little stretch before the All-Star break because Denver's talked about how they just had to get through these 10 games and this is the most important, like toughest 10 games of their season so far. And they went seven and three. And and we'll talk about how they did there and, and just what we can really take away from that as well as the final stretch before the all-star break should be good. Uh, but first, let's get into the Denver Nuggets losing to OKC last night. Final score of that one was 105 to 100. And it's tough. That's a that's a tough one for sure uh, because Denver did not have Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic, not necessarily a late scratch, but he was, it was a scratch during the middle of the day. Uh, I don't even know if he traveled with the team, if I'm being honest. I didn't see him on the bench, and it like I never saw him in any of the pictures or anything like that. And she had low back pain. Uh, the Nuggets talked about that as a something that they're trying to kind of manage with him. It's not necessarily something that Michael Malone views as a long-term thing, but that it was just building up enough that they wanted to get him a day. And she Mark more credit to him. Like, obviously, he's played in all but now two games. And the only two games that I believe that he's missed are this one. And gosh, the, <laughs> I, now, now I don't even remember what the other game was. It was another tough road game. Um, is it like Minnesota? No, it wasn't Minnesota. Uh, somebody in the comments, if you could pull that, that would be tremendous. Uh, but it is what it is. Um. Jesus is, is in the comments saying, Nug Life is so back, losing a tiebreaker in the middle of the season to a division opponent, only creating bigger storylines towards the end of the season. Yes and no, and I, I think it's important to give OKC credit. Uh, they, they are a talented, talented team. All of their ratings and all of their regular season stuff says that they're a better team than the Nuggets. Now, that doesn't necessarily define it for the playoffs, and we'll talk about that more in the second segment. But OKC is really, really good, and they've earned it. They were they fought really hard, and what this really says to me is that the game that Denver lost, uh, this the first one at home where they were up by ten with three minutes to go, like that was one that they should not have lost. That was one that they should not have dropped, and the fact that they did was a a pretty big problem. So. Look, that happens. It's not a big deal. 
and it may cause Denver to be a lower seed, but I, I don't know. Like going into OKC, can Denver win in OKC? Can they win at least one game and then defend their home court in a playoff series? Absolutely. Like I, I don't fear OKC's home court advantage or anything like that. Even though their fans are going to be wild, even though they're going to be crazy, Denver's a veteran team. They know what what it takes, and they they were six and three on the road last year. So I'm not exactly frustrated by it. Um, but look, Denver last night they started Peyton Watson in place of Nikola Jokic. They decided to go small. Aaron Gordon playing the center position, and to be frank, it worked. Like the plan worked. If you look at the plus minuses. Jamal Murray was a plus one in 39 minutes. KCP plus 13. Aaron Gordon plus seven. Peyton Watson in his 21 minutes was plus 13. And I think that there's actually a real case to be made that Peyton Watson should have played more. Now, he did get into foul trouble. That's one of the reasons why he didn't play as much in the second half. But plus 13 in 21 minutes tells me that the plan was working. And that's a good sign for Denver in a playoff series, whether it's against OKC or another team. Denver can go small with Aaron Gordon at the five and Peyton Watson at the four and feel pretty good for the most part. But OKC was very, very good, just not as much in the first quarter. They missed a bunch of shots in the first quarter. Uh, Denver, I think their defense was very, very good. I've got some notes here from the game. Murray being guarded from 94 feet. He was being guarded by a bunch of different guys, and then that's a that's a tough place to be, obviously. The Nuggets were hitting their outside shots early, and they extended a lead. This was actually a 10-point lead at one point, and that's it's kind of surprising when you think about Den- like there, There's a little bit of a letdown effect, obviously, for OKC, where they're not facing Jokic. Obviously, it changes the way that Denver plays. Denver kind of played the way that OKC usually plays, where they go five out or as much five out as possible, and they play physically, and they switch, and they guard, and they play smart. And Denver did a really nice job of that for much of this game. The bench came in, though, and the bench struggled. It shouldn't really be a surprise. That's not like a a crazy take. It wasn't as much of a struggling in the first half as it was in the second half, and we'll get to that. But uh, I thought that there were good moments for Justin Holiday, Reggie Jackson, Christian Brown. That's that's to be clear. Sometimes it doesn't always work out in the plus minus department, but those guys played pretty well. Nice response for Denver uh, after halftime, but up until that point, like in the second quarter, especially Denver lost that quarter 28 to 23. It wasn't anything too crazy, but uh, the Nuggets were they were they were leading. It was like 51 to 47 at the end of the the first half. And you could feel the momentum already kind of going back to OKC because of the defensive plays that they were making. And their offense was going to kind of get going. Denver's offense was still struggling to get going. Chet Holmgren is great. He is a great, great rim protector. He led their team, or he at least led their starting lineup at plus minus the plus 13. Five blocks for Chet Holmgren. And then he had eight defensive rebounds and was just a, a menace defensively. And Denver... They their game plan was affected because of him. He was he was very very good. Um, OKC in the third quarter went more to Shea. He was very good in the second half. Not as good in the first half. First half Shea had like twelve points on twelve shots, and then he finished with thirty four. Uh, he got to the free throw line a lot more in the second half, and some of that was just 
latter stages of, hey, we are we are fouling intentionally at the end of, at the end of the game. But mostly it was Shea just doing a good job of getting into the paint, being a bother, and getting Denver off track and getting Denver off kilter. Uh, but for the most part, that was a it was a pretty good defensive performance by Denver on Shea. When you hold a team like that to 105, like that's a that's a pretty good sign. Denver like held them to 42 from the field. The problem is is that they allowed them to the free throw line, and then OKC made a bunch of threes in the second half. They were more cold in the first half, but ultimately made 11 out of 26. That's a that's a pretty tough mark to overcome when you're already compromised if you're Denver. And they also made 20 free throws, and they had 15 offensive rebounds. So they got a lot, and that's <laughs> that's never going to help you. Michael Porter was missing shots. He wasn't making a bunch of plays. He ultimately, like, he had a couple of good makes at the end of the fourth, like midway through and in, in the late stages of the fourth quarter. But Michael Porter ultimately finished 15 points, 6 of 17 from the field, 3 of 9 from 3. Denver needed a big game from him, and he just didn't have one. Like, that was a... Like he was a team low minus 16 in the plus minus. There were some hustle plays that I was pretty uh, frustrated with in the moment with him, especially one of the ending game plays where Denver needs a stop. They need a rebound. They're only down one. OKC gets a gets an offensive rebound going to Josh Giddy, who shot the ball and Michael Porter's in the vicinity. He's the guy that's supposed to get to that ball and he just didn't. And that allowed OKC to uh, get another possession. Chet Holmgren hit a clutch three. And there was basically curtains at that point. Go from up one to up four with about 20 seconds left. So, look, that that's the hustle play that you got to make. And it's a hustle play you got to make in the playoffs. And if you're not going to make that play, then there's a reason why Peyton Watson is so important to this, Doug, to this Nuggets team. Because he will make that hustle play. And... Like if you're Porter, that's that's one you got to get. Like you, if you're not going to shoot, you got to rebound. And he had eight rebounds on the game, so I don't want to entirely disparage it. But like, you just got to get, you got to make it. And so maybe he's tired. Maybe like he's played every single game this year. I I continue to want to give him credit for that, but he has got to make that play. Before that, though, uh, Jamal Murray had been bottled up a little bit from a shot-making standpoint from a shot-taking standpoint. Murray only took 14 shots as Lou Dort was glued to him for much of the game. When it wasn't Lou Dort, it was Kenrich Williams. It was Aaron Wiggins. It was Kaysen Wallace. Those guys are such good perimeter defenders, and Murray kind of struggled with that. He struggled with getting free on a consistent basis and creating shots for himself and for others. Did a nice job of setting up Aaron Gordon, though, who was... Like Aaron Gordon was Denver's best player last night. He did struggle a little bit from the shooting perspective and missed five free throws, which Denver went 11 of 16 from the free throw line. You get those five free throws and this is a tie game or you're kind of operating in a different position at the end of the game if you make more of those. So look, it's it's going to be, it is going to be tough if Aaron Gordon isn't making free throws, but he did everything else. And I want to give him credit for that because like he was hustling, he was fighting. I think he put together a better game than Chet Holmgren did. It's at least close. Those guys like 
Chet, Chet had 18 points, 13 rebounds, three assists, five blocks. Gordon had 16 points, 13 rebounds, seven assists, one steal, four blocks. And like they were both extremely impactful. So like, look, Aaron did his job. And Jamal had some good moments too. Like he created open shots for himself, for KCP, for Aaron Gordon, for other guys within the flow of the offense. Um, Michael Malone decided that rather than close with Peyton Watson, he would close with Reggie Jackson. And I know the theory behind that practice because you want another ball handler out there. You want somebody else who could take pressure off of Murray, given that Murray's being hounded 94 feet. And Denver doesn't really have another guy that they can go to consistently like that. KCP being one of them. Michael Porter can't really do the the ball handling and creative dribbling, especially against a team like OKC, where they're just going to try to rip him the entire time. Um, so they decide to go with another ball handler. Reggie, I thought, played decently. But the the defensive side of the ball, like he was not not good at all. He was getting cooked for the most part on the defensive end. And Denver just couldn't come come up with enough stops at the end. The, the offense was pretty good, 28 points in the fourth quarter, but allowing 32 and OKC just got open kickouts and things like that. That is a that's a tough place for Denver to kind of recover from. So look, it was a it was a good game. It was a fun game. I think in general that Denver acquitted themselves pretty well without Nikola Jokic. Most of the guys that are going to play in a playoff series played reasonably well enough that if you just add Nikola Jokic to this group, that's going to change things. Now, OKC was without Jalen Williams. They were without Isaiah Joe. Those guys would be helpful for them, but they also did get positive contributions from some of their other deep bench players, like an Aaron Wiggins, like a a Vasa Micic. Jalen Williams, the big Jalen Williams, had nine points off the bench. So, look, it's a... It's always going to be a back and forth, and we're going to talk about OKC in the second segment as well, like what they can do. Uh, I'm also going to talk about Zeke Naji in the second segment because that's a, like, didn't get to him here. He was unplayable, and they they played him nine minutes and lost his minutes by 12. So, look, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to chat about everything pertaining to the OKC versus Denver playoff matchup. But first... Folks, we're changing the game. Win some money this season with Superbook Sports, the most trusted name in sports gambling with a direct line to Las Vegas. And now you can use the promo code MILEHIGH and you score up to 250 bucks with their first bet bonus. Win or lose, Superbook will match your first bet up to 250 with promo code MILEHIGH. Download the Superbook Sports app, enter the promo code, and you'll get 250 bucks courtesy of Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem code 1-800-GAMBLER. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. All right, we're back. Pickaxe and Roll, Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning into the show. If you can, please like and subscribe to the video. That really does help out, uh, help grow the channel for sure as we are encroaching on 6K on that side of things. We've also got a bunch of videos that have come out between myself and Swipa, uh, doing some stuff in studio, doing some stuff uh, over like kind of online, and we've been recording a bunch of different short form content or shorter form content in terms of just like one of these segments where we, we have fun, we go back and forth, we banter, 
Hope you guys have checked out those videos for sure. Just make sure that if you're if you're struggling to find them, click on the Denver Nuggets tab on uh, Mile High Sports' videos page, and that will, like, it's in a playlist, and you'll be able to find every single Denver Nuggets video. Most of them include me. So make sure to uh, to go check that out. All right, before I get to the playoffs, let's talk about Zeke Naji. Let's talk about everything that kind of went into that. So Denver, if you remember, obviously, Denver signed Zeke Naji. They extended him in and his 20, as a 2020 draftee. He was eligible for an extension this past offseason. And right before they went to the regular season, Zeke Naji got an extension for four years, 32 million has a player option on the end of it. Denver was hoping to commit to him as a big man that they can trust, as an option that they can go to both as a backup center and as a backup power forward, somebody that they could consistently trust in situations like this one where, hey, Nikola Jokic is out. Cool. Let's insert Zeke Naji. We're going to switch everything. We're going to guard. He's going to do a great job. He's going to space the floor a little bit. Uh, and then, like, be just a hustler. That hasn't come to pass. It, you know, if anything, it's been the exact opposite. Like, Zeke, for some reason, has regressed this year. There are skills where he has improved. His offensive rebounding has been better than ever. He is a hustler. He's trying really hard. I don't, I don't want to disparage that in any way, shape, or form. But the way that he is playing and the way that he is applying his skills has been bad. And Denver has really suffered for it with their second unit. And in situations like this one where Nikola Jokic is out, Zeke Naji is only giving you nine minutes because he was unplayable. Like Jamal Murray is trying to set him up under the basket and the ball goes through his hands. And there's a turnover. There's a run out the other direction. And then Zeke is immediately off the court the next possession because like, they went back to Aaron Gordon, who played 39 minutes. That's not supposed to happen. Aaron Gordon's not supposed to play 39 minutes of, of center when Nikola Jokic misses. That is Zeke Naji's job, or it was supposed to be, when Denver signed him. And the fact that Denver's gone to DeAndre Jordan as often as they have is mostly evidence that they have not gotten what they needed to from Zeke. And that is really frustrating for Denver if you're like, that is just a, it is an unfortunate thing because this was one of those, like you have to hit on everything kind of situations, especially with the way that the luxury tax is with the the second apron and things like that. With the way that the rules are in the NBA right now with their seat with the CBA, Denver has to hit on everything. And they have not hit on the Zeke Naji contract, or at least certainly not yet. Zeke is now under contract for the next, I'm not kidding, four years. And it is so important for him to kind of get back to a place where he can be playable for Denver, because right now he's not. And that is a, like, this is supposed to be a good matchup for him. This is supposed to be where, hey, Denver, you need to switch everything. You need to guard against a team like the OKC Thunder, where they've got a lot of ball handlers, they've got a lot of creators. And the easiest way to match up with a team like this is to just switch everything, go small, and be physical. 
And Zeke couldn't guard Vasa Micic. He couldn't guard, like, as and my, my Serbian followers, I'm, I'm sorry to say this, but Vasa has not had a good NBA year this year. And though he is a capable scorer, that's somebody that Zeke has to be able to guard if he's going to get on the floor. He's got to be able to switch that situation. He's got to be smarter. And there were too many times in this last game where he was too slow to switch. He was too slow to guard. He was not reading the floor. He was not getting out there on the perimeter. And if he was getting too far out on the perimeter, then he was getting dusted to the rim. And that's just on the defensive end. On the offensive end, there is no... like The basket that he had was a spoon-fed pass by Reggie Jackson. Like he, he got it right to Zeke, right at the rim, easy bucket, nothing crazy. The other three shots that he had, he's trying to go up through Chet Holmgren. He's trying to, like he's double clutching layups. He is just really bothered by this. And it's just like, like the turnover that he had was one where like the ball is spoon fed to you and you've just got to convert. Like that, those are the plays that, if the team sets you up in that situation, that is the one where you have to do the bare minimum and you have to at least get a shot up. Like you can't fumble that. And too often he has this year. The offensive skills have completely regressed. And the only if the only thing he is doing is grabbing offensive rebounds and drawing fouls, that's not good enough for the contract that he signed. And the most important thing that Denver has to do now is they've got to figure out what this is. Like, what are they going to do? Is this just matching salary? Is this just somebody that like Denver has to trade as soon as possible? And that's that's horrible. Like, that's not how this should have gone. <laughs> this was like a, a 2020 draft pick for Denver, where the previous like the pick right before him was Tyrese Maxey. Denver had an opportunity to trade Zeke Nashi in the Aaron Gordon trade. They instead traded RJ Hampton because Orlando was very interested in that. Zeke was somebody that like would have been a great fit for Denver second unit in theory. Because he could play next to Jokic, play next to Gordon, play next to Porter, do different things. And the, the actual practice has just not happened. So it's unfortunate and Denver's in a really, really tough spot right now for him. So like, look, I'm tired of having to talk about it because he's just not going to impact the playoffs. And when you sign a long-term contract with the team, and then that's my ultimate reaction, like that's just, that's not good enough. So pretty big mistake by Calvin Booth, in my opinion. If, if there have been any mistakes in the Calvin Booth regime so far, that is one of them. Let's go to OKC here before... We take another break. The Thunder are dangerous to Denver. Like, it is clear that they have at least a formula that gives Denver problems. What makes them so dangerous? Because, like, they've they've won in three separate ways, basically. They won by coming back in Denver in a situation where Denver needed to get stops and they were a little bit lax. They were not ready. They were not thinking about OKC as a team that was a threat. And they like they caught Denver clearly. Okay, you can you can say that's a one-off for sure. 
Next time, Denver faces them on the second night of a back-to-back, and it was not close at any point. That game was a clear and utter domination by OKC on the road. And Denver just didn't have anything for them. And okay, you could say, yeah, Denver was tired in that game. Sure. But you also have to put up a better fight than they did. And then this last one, you can obviously say, look, Denver didn't have Jokic. Like, clearly that was a, like, that's a reason to discount this game, to discount this result. And you could say that, obviously. I'm not going to argue with you. Denver probably probably wins this game without Jokic, or with Jokic. I believe that because they're playing 48 minutes of good center play because Aaron Gord would probably have staggered at the five. And that would be a little bit better. But it doesn't change the fact that OKC still won this game, still showed that they are a dangerous team and still has elements to their roster that Denver's going to struggle with in a playoff series. They might still win. They absolutely might still win. But it doesn't mean it's going to be a pain. So I think that OKC is a very, very tough matchup for Denver, and here's why. Chet Holmgren, very, very unique five. Unique starting five that he's not going to be like this massive physical beast against, uh, against Jokic in the post. But he, like, even when Jokic has been out there, has been bothering Denver's offense the entire time. There was a play where OKC was basically like, okay, Jamal, you've gotten the corner. You've gotten the edge on us. You, he, he ran a side pick and roll, basically. And they just let him go to the rim, knowing that Chet Holmgren was going to rotate over. And Chet immediately disrupts the shot. Murray, rather than like, like he wanted to take it into the rim protector... And Chet did a fantastic job of protecting it. So there are so many plays that Chet is going to affect as a rim protector, even if he's not a great Jokic defender one-on-one or anything like that. And I don't think that he will. SGA, tough shot maker, can get to the free throw line when Denver plays their starting lineup. Aaron Gordon can guard him a little bit, but and KCP can guard him a little bit, but is Jamal going to be a perfect stopper on him? No. I thought that Jamal did a pretty good job defensively against Shea in this last game, but it always feels like Shea can get wherever he wants to. And if he's attacking Michael Porter, for example, like there can absolutely be some some plays there. That like Shea's just going to earn. He's going to get to the free throw line. He's going to make some tough shots. And that's against any of Denver starters. OKC has perimeter defenders galore to face Jamal Murray, whether it's Shea, who they were attacking, but like Denver wasn't getting amazing results when attacking Shea either. Lou Dort is going to be a bulldog facing Murray. Jalen Williams, when he returns healthy, will be very good. And then they've got guys off the bench like Kenrich Williams, Aaron Wiggins, and Kaysen Wallace, who are like, you're just going to take turns guarding him 94 feet and tiring Jamal out. And then you're attacking him on the other end with a guy like Shea. It's going to be a very physical series for Jamal. And he may not play well. And then the Thunder have the depth that they can stagger effectively. And they can put out different lineups that are going to be challenging for Denver to manage. And Mark Dagnall is a great, great coach who knows what he's doing. He's absolutely going to put his players into the best position to succeed 
And he might even be a better coach than Malone. Like Malone has proven it against basically everybody. But Dagnalt's really, really smart. He's really, really good. And I have no doubt that he'll put his team into the best position to succeed when the time comes. So will that all translate to the playoffs? Is this going to be a situation where OKC can actually beat Denver? I don't know. Maybe. One of the things that Nuggets fans are going to try to hold their hat on is that Jokic can just break this team. They can break the Clippers. Or not the Clippers. The uh, the Thunder. Jokic can do that. He can break them from a physical perspective on the interior. But there's also a little bit of a math game there where OKC is going to bomb from three. They are going to absolutely shoot from three. Jalen Williams will take threes. Shea will take more threes. Uh, Josh Giddy will take some, but he's not even going to be out there for that much. And then Chet, as a floor spacing five, is going to take threes when guarded by Jokic. He's going to get him into space, and that's going to be a tough matchup for Joker. I think that OKC is going to play the math game here where maybe Denver dominates on the interior as much as they can when Chet is still like protecting the rim pretty well. But I also think that one of the things that OKC has done well for De- against Denver in the past is they've knocked down Denver's three-point numbers where they're only taking 20 threes or 18 threes or 22 threes, while OKC at times will take 30 to 35. And that math game is going to make it difficult, especially in matchups on the road. So Denver can beat this team in the playoffs. They probably will beat this team in the playoffs. And one of the things that I know will happen, like Jokic will dominate on the interior. He'll make the right decisions. He'll probably average 30, 17 rebounds and eight assists. Murray's level will rise. That's for sure. Like these going to be better in tougher situations. He's going to be more attention to detail, despite the fact that OKC has a really, really tough like lineup to go against. Denver's rotation is also going to tighten up. AG will be at the five. It will not be Zeke Naji. It will not be DeAndre Jordan. AG will play the five in the minutes that, Mer- that Jokic doesn't. And because of that, there will be some advantages that Denver can go to on the second unit. And yet, like, you just run out of bodies really quickly. Christian Brown, I didn't mention him yet. I thought he had a pretty good game. I thought he, had, I thought he was pretty solid, made some important plays, despite the fact that he was a minus 12. Reggie Jackson can play, although he will be taken advantage of defensively. Justin Holiday, I think, can play in this series. So there are going to be opportunities for Denver to play some of these guys. And then Peyton Watson moves back to the bench in this case. So I don't think that like Denver's going to have opportunities there where they can stagger different defensive lineups. They can play Murray and Jokic and Porter in advantageous situations as scorers. And then a guy like KCP will turn to turn up the intensity even more on defense. But look, like it doesn't change the fact that OKC can absolutely win a series against Denver. Denver, like, they will probably win, but I can absolutely see it. I could definitely see Denver really struggling with a team like OKC, despite the fact that they're young. Like, this could be one of those situations where it goes seven. And, like, you're going to have to win a road playoff game in order to actually defeat a team like OKC because they have enough talent 
where they can make your life hell. And Denver can win a road game seven. I do believe that they can do that. But it's not going to be pretty. It's not like you're going to have to grind for it. That wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if OKC pushes Denver to the max. And then, like, still a road game seven, anything can happen. So I'm not going to just sit here and say, oh, yeah, no, Denver will absolutely win that series because I think that OKC is really, really good. All their regular season metrics are great. They're really well coached. And they've got an they got an MVP candidate, somebody who may be having a better MVP season than Joker. Like there's at least an argument to be made there. So we'll see what happens. But either way, let's take another break. When we come back, we are going to chat about the final two weeks before the All Star break occurs. But first, this message from Scott to Huff. Breaking news, uh, the NBA has fined the Philadelphia 76ers $75,000 for a violation to the injury reporting regarding Joel Embiid's absence on Saturday versus Denver. No violation of player participation policy due to Embiid's confirmed injury, but uh, that is interesting to say the least. It looks like uh, they were fined. They were investigated and they were fined. Fascinating. Okay. Uh, where that's the last I'm going to talk about that because here, actually, you know what? I, I will say this one thing. I was obviously frustrated in the moment on Saturday when Embiid wasn't playing. In retrospect, was probably a little bit too frustrated and a little bit too uh, annoyed and irritated and made too many jokes about ducking and things like that. Look. It's tough. Like when you're when you are covering a team like the Nuggets, and this is one of the matchups that they get up for, is one of the ones that they wanted to showcase, and like Embiid kind of be misses right at the end. It was very weird. It was questionable, and like the fact that he wasn't on the injury report, like there's a reason why they're getting fined. But like, look, you see that Embiid has a an actual real knee injury now, and that is a like, it's tough. Like, I, nobody nobody wants to see that. No Nuggets fan wants to see that. What I've come to realize about this particular moment is that Nuggets fans in that moment on Saturday, all they wanted was for Embiid to show up, Embiid to be healthy, and for the Nuggets and Jokic to win and look better. That's what everybody wanted if you're a Nuggets fan. And the fact that that was once again not allowed uh, was was very, very frustrating for a lot of people I know. It does not take away from the fact that Embiid was actually hurt. And that is a like, look, <laughs> you can't you can't just sit there and say, yeah, no, no, the, like the ducking jokes are all well and good. Nuggets fans mostly just make them in jest. But it is like. It's frustrating because a lot of 76ers fans came after me. Uh, I expressed some condolences, concern for Joel Embiid and his fit and his, his like health. And they were like, hey, don't switch up now. Like, look, I don't uh, I'm not going to sit here and say that I was perfectly behaved, but I'm also not going to sit here and say that I didn't try to represent Nuggets fans in the way that they feel and like Nuggets fans feel like they've gotten the short end of the stick in that matchup. 
over and over and over again because Embiid has never played in Denver. There are circumstances for why, and a lot of Philly writers and a lot of Philly voices are very adamant about how it's not ducking if these are legitimate circumstances and yada, yada, yada. Like, look, Nuggets fans are still allowed to be mad in that situation. <laughs> they're still allowed to express frustration, and they're still allowed to make jokes. Like, that's not going to... The entire basis of the internet is joking about things that suck. It's joking about things that are annoying or irritating. And like, look, did it go a little bit too far? Probably. That was not like anybody's intention, I hope, to take it too far. And the fact that Embiid is actually hurt sucks. But I'm not going to sit here and say that Nuggets fans were completely baseless in their belief that Embiid wouldn't play or and, and was put into a situation where like Nuggets fans now look like the bad people when in reality it's like the Sixers organization that screwed this up over and over and over and over and over again. They should have sat him down in Indiana after he got hurt. The fact they came back in and played on that knee is like frankly disgusting. <laughs> and somebody's got to be the big voice in the room and be like, hey, you can't do that. And they I think he actually put himself into more harm for going out there and trying to gut it out. So I don't blame Embiid for trying to play hurt. Like, good on him. Good on him for trying to gut it out and trying to play through it. I don't think he wanted to miss the game in Denver. The circumstances are shitty. They just are. And it sucks. Uh, but nobody in Denver is the devil. Uh, my guy, Jake, uh, Jake Shapiro has been getting a lot of uh, hate, a lot of criticism for like asking about Joel Embiid's character. I don't like, I personally would not have asked that question because I just think it's, it's very close to the line. In my opinion, Sixers fans know how to dance all over the line and they have for a while now. It's been a lot of talk about like racist remarks last year and why the reason why Jokic like from the Kendrick Perkins angle was just uh. It was, it's like very frustrating. So look, I'm, I'm not going to like, that's the last thing I'm going to say about this. That was impromptu. So look, it sucks. And I hope that Embiid's okay. And I hope that he's healthy for the playoffs. And I hope that he meets Jokic in the finals. And I hope that Jokic kicks his ass. Like, that's what I hope, frankly. All right. The next two weeks for Denver before the all-star break, uh, Friday versus Portland. That's tomorrow. Then Sunday versus Portland, you've got the rare home doubleheader, basically, against one team. Portland's been playing better. They are a, a slightly better team. They won last night in Damian Lillard's return to Portland. They kind of spoiled that. And like Anthony Simons has been great for them when they're healthy. Jeremy Grant, uh, Malcolm Brogdon, Anthony Simons. DeAndre Ayton, like they've got some talent there and it's showing. It is clearly showing. Scoot Henderson is coming off the bench as their sixth man. They've got a guy in Duop Reith who is a veteran rookie center uh, who's 27 years old from Sudan and he's splashing threes for sure. So Denver's got to watch out for that as well. Uh, but Denver should get those two games. And if they do, like then more power to them. It, it makes this loss against OKC a little bit less painful if they if you make sure to get both of those games. But I'm just speaking from experience here. When a team plays another team twice in a row, 
it is very rare for both of those games to be like blowouts, for both of those games to be definitive. At least one of those games between Portland and Denver is going to be way closer than a lot of people hope. And Denver, they can't get caught. They just can't. Then Denver has three days off before going to the LA Lakers on Thursday. They're going to travel there. And then the next Friday, they will play the second night of a back-to-back against Sacramento. Uh, That is the second time, by the way, that Denver's facing Sacramento on the road on the second night of a back-to-back. So tough situation. That's a a matchup that Denver should be able to win, but they are facing Sacramento multiple times on the second night of a back-to-back on the road. So that is a, it's kind of an oversight by the schedule makers, in my opinion, and a matchup that Denver should be able to win. They may lose multiple times because Sacramento is in an advantageous rest position. So back-to-back at Sacramento, then at Milwaukee, then versus Sacramento at home. Uh, So Denver has that three-game road trip. They're going from Sacramento to Milwaukee, which is not an easy one for sure. Um, That is is multiple time zones going east. That sucks. Um, And then they come back home and they play versus Sacramento for sure. So look, six games. Denver's got six games before the All-Star break here. As much as they've been talking about getting through the last 10 games, these six games are where like win streaks and not not win streaks, but like win profiles are made. You've got to win the two easy ones. You've got to win at least one, if not two, of the three road games, despite the fact that Denver could go 0-3 on that road trip. And I don't think anybody would really bat an eye. Like Denver's got to probably win in L.A., That is one where you've got three days off. You have to be prepared. You have to be physical. And like, it wouldn't surprise me if they dropped that one because anytime the Nuggets have had more than like one day off, more than two days off, they are pretty shaky. So we will see whether they actually can bring that level. Uh, But look, if Denver wins the two Portland games and they win versus Sacramento, they're at least three and three. That would be fine, but probably not good enough. In my opinion, Denver can go six and zero on this stretch, but Milwaukee's going to be pretty physical. They're going to try to get Denver back. Uh, Sacramento on a back to back is going to be tough. Like at LA is going to be like it's going to be tough, despite the fact that LA is not really a great team. Like they're going to try to get some revenge, and their fans are going to be pretty. Uh, pretty into it, I would say. So, look, Denver could go three and three. They could go six and zero. Oh. If they go at least four and two, I think that's good enough. If they go five and one, that's great. If they go six and zero, oh, even better. But this is where, like, at the end of the pre All Star break section, Denver's just trying to survive. And if they can survive heading into the All Star break, they will be all the better for it. They'll be all the better in the seeding for it. Because there are going to be some games that slip up between Minnesota, that slip up for OKC, that slip up for the Clippers in these final couple of weeks here. If Denver can be the team that finishes strong, then they have a great chance to be a top two seed. If they don't finish this stretch strong, then they will probably drop to the three or four seed, and it's going to be tough to make that up. So I'm watching this one pretty closely. 
I think that this one is going to be very, very interesting. And Denver, they've got to survive. They've got to get through it. And if they don't, then they're probably going to be in an uphill battle trying to repeat, if I'm being honest. Like, this is where the difference between a one, two, three, and four seed is really, really important is stretches like this one. So I'm looking forward to seeing how they approach it. I'm looking forward to seeing how they do, but we'll see what happens. Folks, that is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll. Really, really appreciate all the love and support on the show. Make sure to hit that like button, hit that subscribe button down below. Uh, We've got another video coming out in the coming hours, I think, at 2 o'clock on this channel that is going to be MVP related. So Jokic will be discussed. Shea will be discussed. This was actually before the Joel Embiid injury when we recorded that, but we were still talking about him not necessarily having enough games. Should be interesting. We're going to make some uh, cases for different guys for MVP. Should be fun. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning into the show. Hit that like button on the way out. We'll talk to you guys very soon.